Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. Do you want to make your art your commodity? Answer that because that choice is the most difficult choice you're going to have to make. And that's going to guide and affect everything else that you're doing. And when I think about how that's shown up in my life. It's shown up in some incredibly beautiful ways and some incredibly difficult ways. You know, I mean, when you're, when your art is your commodity, you, you know, when you're just a poet, just doing it for your hobby, it's like, Oh, I want to, I want to show up at this open mic and I want to rock my, my, my love poem. You know, I'm in love. I want to rock my heartbreak poem because I'm my, my, I just, you know, she just left me or I want to, I want to, you know, do my suicide depression poem because I'm feeling down, you know. And now when your art becomes your job, then it's like, you know, I got to rock this phone bill poem. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Seiko, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Absolutely. Thank you, man. I'm excited to be here. Well, I am really, really excited to have you here. One, because you are literally the first spoken word poet that we have had uh, on the show. And, you know, I got a chance not only to meet you at the summit event that we were both at in February, but also see you perform. And so uh, I knew that I wanted to have you on the show. And coincidentally, right when you reached out, it was kind of like, yeah, we absolutely would love to have you on the show. Um, So on on that note, I want to start with a question that I have found has been really interesting. Uh, You know, I I'm always curious about, you know, what people's parents are like. And I'm very curious, what is the most important thing that you learned growing up from your mother that you have applied to your work and your life going forward? Oh, wow. Um, well, you know, I got to tell you, <laughs> the, the reason why that question is just probably extra challenging for me is because, you know, I'm very much the apple that not just fell, but I mean, is leaning right next to the tree. Um, I, you know, if you think about it, my, my world is, is a hybrid between education, art and entrepreneurship. And both of my parents were educators. Um, both of them were college professors. Mm. Um, both of them were entrepreneurs. Um, my mom was, you know, created the first, uh, African-American dance company in the, in Berkeley in the Bay area. And my dad had, a several businesses, you know, from Amway to uh, his own kinesiology museum in Oakland. Um, and both of them were artists. Father was a painter, sculptor, and mom's dancer, choreographer. So 
um, the amount of the layers upon layers of education that they gave me um, from the creative aspect onto the, you know, the scholastic educational, uh, traditional educational aspect was, was and just continues to be incredibly rich. Um, I would say from my mom, my mom, I think, was uh, a tremendous advocate of that balance. Um, you know, my mom really was heavy, a heavy nurturer of my creativity, you know, um, always find a, a, a new way of approaching it, always um, uh, be yourself, you know, always allow your authenticity to shine through in whatever you're doing. And, and I mean, you know, that's not, it's not always easy or sexy. Cause you know, when I was a kid, my mom was like, I, I was, I was a Berkeley baby. So let's just understand, you know, <laughs> like I, I was a child of like Berkeley revolutionaries, you know what I mean? Like moms was getting hit on by Huey Newton and participating in the, in the very first Kwanzaa ceremonies when it was like 12 people in the living room, you know, and just at the forefront and at the forefront and cutting edge of all things that are sexy. Now, you know, she was a futurist and she was doing yoga and she was, you know, teaching Lamas in our living room. And, you know, we grew up vegetarian and so forth, you know, and all of that was manageable, but my mom had a bald head. Okay. My mom, had a bald head. Now listen, when your mom has a bald head and you're in elementary school, it is impossible for you to win any clowning contest, okay? Because you can have the best, most creative clowning on the, on the playground with your friends. But all somebody has to say is, that's why your mama got a bald head. And you lose. <laughs> you lose. You know what I mean? That's just the common go-to that everybody can come back to, you know? So, you know, that was my mom. Her, like, her, her shine through and be your original self wasn't always easy when you're a kid to deal with, you know? Mm-hmm. At one point, we were the bald-headed, dashiki-wearing family, which also <laughs> made it tough, you know? Um, but <laughs> nonetheless, in all of her, all of her wisdom, um, that laid the groundwork and, and uh, the foundation for, you know, me to be who I am uh, today and for me to share that uh, that message of authenticity and creativity with the world um, and to be unafraid to do that and to also, you know, find it in my own ways. Um, and so she was a, she was a tremendous advocate of that. And she was, uh, you know, she was also an educator, like I said. So she was also a tremendous advocate of, of like, you need to go and get educated. It was not, oh, you know, yes, go and, and draw and become a basket weaver. You know, it was like, you know, after your homework, you can do your basket weaving. And after you finish these college applications, you can go out and write that play, you know. Um, and so, like, say, for example, with uh, with. Uh, middle school, when we moved from the Bay Area to D.C., um, I did middle school. I discovered I discovered the stage pretty much in middle school and so fell in love with um, music and, and acting and hip hop all at the same time and pursued both through college. Well, for freshman year, I went to um, a very well-known school of the arts um, called Duke Ellington School of the Arts in D.C. And so it was an incredible honor to you know, to be accepted into Duke Ellington. And it was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. All these, you know, Michelle Deggio Cello and Dave Chappelle and all these folks have come out of the school and it's going to be amazing, right? And um, so I did that. But uh, but DC Public School ranked 50th in the nation, I think, at the time. So it was 
very much a okay. Well, um, sorry, turn this off. Very much a you know you can go do these plays here, but you need to get your grades up. And then after a year of just realizing how weak the education was at Duke Ellington and then in the DC public school system at the time, she yanked me out of there. And it was like, all right, you know, she we literally like just did everything we could um, financially to get accepted into uh, Georgetown Day, which is where I graduated from, which is like you know the number one or number two college prep school in in the area. And, um, and it was like, you know, you can go do plays over at this school. How about that? You know, but you're going to get this education and you're going to go to college and you're going to make sure that this, this side of you, you know, this part of your creativity, this part of your being is nurtured. Um, and I, and I really, honestly, I credit that heavily with the balance of my worlds and the, and the ability for me to be able to play now in any world. If you think about my worlds being entertainment and you think about my worlds being corporate and you think about my worlds being entrepreneurial and you think about my worlds being education and you think about, you know, the fact that I'm, you know, one on, on, on one day I'm, I'm speaking to a fortune 500 and, and hanging out with the, with the president of, of Nike. And the next day I'm, you know, presenting at a, at a, at a spoken word venue. And the next day I'm, I'm doing something for the fans. And the next day I'm doing something for entrepreneurs and I'm, and I can play successfully in any room of any size billionaires down to, you know, hundred heirs, um, and feel completely comfortable and feel completely authentic. And I credit my mom with making sure that I was in multiple environments throughout my uh, throughout my growth that prepared me for that, that, that made me comfortable in that and that allowed me to see myself in each of those environments comfortably. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> I, having uh, been a Berkeley undergrad, it's amusing to hear you talk about, you know, being raised by sort of Berkeley parents and sort of hippie parents, but you're this you're sort of walking contradiction and paradox because you've got both sides of this, you know, the yeah. sort of, Hey, you know, even though I'm nurturing and encouraging all this creativity, I also expect a certain le- level of rigor and discipline uh, from an academic side. And I also happen to be the, the son of a college professor. So I, I you know, appreciate that and understand it more than you can possibly imagine. Except <laughs> I didn't get the creativity nurturing part. Uh, but did you I have a ball-headed mama swing? Did you have a ball-headed <laughs> yeah, no, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. <laughs> Uh, but the, the question, I guess, you know, um, having been raised in that environment, what would you say now to parents listening to what you have to say about, you know, nurturing creativity in their kids? Um, I would say be unafraid. I would say, uh, you know, be unafraid. Be creativity is scary sometimes because creativity doesn't. It doesn't uh, know its place. You know, it doesn't adhere to the rules. It doesn't have clear boundaries. Um, and so, and we live in a world, we live in a, you know, a, a boundary field, a boundary filled, rule filled, um, know your place kind of world. You know, we live in a world that wants to label you. And, Creativity says, I will not be labeled unless I choose one of the labels. And even then, I may have my way with it, (laughs) you know. And so I think that can be scary for parents because um, parents tend to, you know, when you have a child, you everything is about protecting and leading and guiding and nurturing that child and, and showing them the right way versus the wrong way and and uh, creativity says, well, you don't know my right way and my wrong way, you know. And so I think 
you have to be unafraid to allowing for that part to be nurtured and then and then uh, embracing the results of it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's all fun and games when you're saying, yes, go color, you know, find, you know, you don't, everybody else is drawing the picture this way and you want to draw the picture upside down. Oh, that's so cute. That's sweet. But then all of a sudden when they want to cr- create an upside down type of career, you know, then you're like, whoa, whoa, you know, how about med school? <laughs> so I think there's a, you know, and my, and, and, you know, I don't, my mom was no different in that way. Like, um, I was pursuing the, uh, I was pursuing the law school track. And a big part of that is because, you know, my mom was, was, she, you know, a, a parent recognizes the gift of gab in their child and they don't say, Oh, Hey, you know what you should do? You should go off and create a career in spoken word poet, being a poet laureate of industry that doesn't exist or something. You know, they say, no, you should be a lawyer, you know, make sure I get, make sure my retirement plan is set. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, so I was, you know, being pushed heavily to law school and, um, that was my, that was my track. I was going to be an entertainment lawyer as a backup to being an entertainer. And, um, and I think that was also a part of that sort of safe mentality from being able to play in all those worlds is that I I did see, you know, I, I always felt like one of the reasons why, this is the double-edged sword of it, like one of the reasons why um, I didn't have the, yeah, I remember working at, at law firms post-college and I was heavily pursuing hip-hop. You know, I was I was running my, my, my record label, Blind Faith Records, from the, from the cubicle of my law firm, you know, and um, just as, as a law clerk. Um, and I remember like reading these stories of all these hip hop acts in Source Magazine or whatever. And they would be like, yeah, man, I was sleeping on the couch and, you know, I was homeless on the street and I was sleeping at my boy's house. And we were just making, you know, beats all day long. And then I was, you know, rapping in the, the, the milk aisle at Bonds and happened to be discovered by <laughs> so-and-so record. You know what I mean? And I was like, damn, I'm at work. Am I am I missing my milk aisle at Vaughn sleeping on the couch moment? You know, like I'm going to my job and, and I'm working my ass off for um, for my dream. Like there's no no doubt that I'm not a hustler. But at the same time, I am there is a safety to, to my path. You know, I am my lights stay on. You know, what I mean, I am able to keep a, keep a roof over my head and take care of myself as a man. And I, sometimes I, I I celebrated that, and sometimes I worried that that was in the way of me having that big story that would make me famous someday. And at the end of the day, you know, I think it led to what it is that I'm doing now, which I I could not have foreseen that this is what I was going to be doing. Um, and so it's only in hindsight that I can appreciate that what it is that I the, the path that I was on is what enabled uh, prepared me for. And um, and just gave me, you know, almost inspired me to do what it is that I'm doing now. And had I had the sleeping on my 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 friend's couch, I probably would have also been coupled with uh, just a, a, a an abundance of need, you know, a different different set of needs that would have forced me into a different path based on those needs, and not allowed me to be able to explore and play and creatively find this unique path. So, you know, honestly, I feel like there's a, there's a, there's a, it's a double-edged sword with that creativity when you, when you think about parenting. Mm -hmm. Um, but I, again, I just credit my parents with 
saying, okay, great, you know, go to this school, like, okay, great, you graduated from college, but, you know, at the same time, it was like, if you graduate, go to college, but I'm not telling you what you have to do in college. I'm just saying you have to go and learn to not just be creative, but you've got to learn to take something to completion. You've got to learn to, to uh, you know, commit to something and, and, and see it through all the way, even though it's difficult. You know, those kinds of things are the strengths that they were trying to develop in me. And then just, you know, do have a backup plan. Be smart enough to make sure that you know that you've got an exit strategy, that you that you know how to identify when failure means bail on this and let it be a lesson versus failure means, you know, uh, uh, stand back up, dust yourself off and keep going. And so I think as a parent, you have to just make sure that you're nurturing both sides of that and recognize that they're both scary. You don't know where they're going to lead and don't handcuff your child to uh, the outcome, handcuff them to the process and the lesson and the skill sets that will allow them to determine their outcome. You know, really interesting to hear you hear you say this because you know I, I I look at some of the things that I've learned from my parents. You know, at moments I question their judgment about things, but the one thing I do give them an immense amount of credit for is even though I didn't succeed in the context they wanted me to, what I learned from the context they put me in was rigor and discipline and commitment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, and that, and you know, as a creative, I mean, listen, I'm in the poetry world, bro. Okay, like you know, I go to toe to toe anytime somebody's got a story about risk. I go toe to toe with them about being in poetry world. Anytime somebody's got a story about how hard it was to make it in their industry, I can go. To, I can compete with the best of them. You know what I mean? Anytime somebody's talking about how 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 many challenges they were up against, the the preconceived notions, the way the world the way the world perceived them, and the the, the odds of them making it, considering how few people are successful in their industry. Again, you can't talk to me. I'm in poetry. You know, let's go. Let's battle. <laughs> like, and I, I tell my, you know, I tell my my, my uh, corporate speaking audiences all the time, like my business audiences, like, listen, just repeat this after me. At least you are not trying to make it in poetry. Like, let that be your <laughs> mantra that allows you to feel better at night. Um, so, you know, I mean, the the broke poet <clears throat> is such a cliche yeah. for a reason. You know, um, and and a lot of times, and that's it's very indicative of the artist mentality. Um, the artist mentality is art for art's sake. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, one of the one of the questions that I was asked by after I won the National Poetry Slam Championship the, the first time or either the first or the second, like after that, the, the people that won it after me um, would call, you know, because by then I had quit my job and and I, I had become a full time poet and, and they would call like Seiku, like. What do I do? You know, like, how can you help? You know, and it was like, you know, they were like, you're doing it. You're, you're clearly, you know, making, being successful. You've turned this into a career as a poet. Um, you know, holler at your boy. And I was like, okay, so I could tell you, you know, who to call for the best shows in Nebraska. And I could tell you, you know, what are the best ways for you to ensure your CD sales at, at uh, live events and, you know, what's the, what's the hottest poetry venues to, to hit in, in Milwaukee on, on the Chicago scene or whatever. Uh, but, but, you know, a lot of people can tell you that I was told that by others, by my mentors and peers. So that's not very unique. I said, the best thing that I can, the best advice that I can give you is for you to sit down with yourself and have a long, serious, hard conversation with yourself, answering the question, do you want to make your art, your commodity? Answer that because that choice 
is the most difficult choice you're going to have to make. And that's going to guide and affect everything else that you're doing. And when I think about how that's shown up in my life, it's shown up in some incredibly beautiful ways and some incredibly difficult ways. You know, I mean, when you're when your art is your commodity, you you know, when you're just a poet, just doing it for your hobby, it's like, oh, I want to I want to show up at this open mic and I want to rock my 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 love poem. You know, I'm in love. I want to rock my heartbreak poem because I'm my, my I just you know she just left me or I want to. I want to, you know, do my suicide depression poem because I'm feeling down, you know. And now when your art becomes your job, then it's like, you know, I got to rock this phone bill poem. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I got to get out there and I got to do the poem that I know is going to make the cash and sell the CDs that's going to make my rent. And, And for me, it was love poems. Love poems were hands down my CD sellers. Well, that was great. I loved performing on love poems. They were some of the they were some of my favorite, my, my most favorite, and my funniest pieces that I had. Love performing them. Then, in the middle of finishing my second double CD filled with love poems about um, the woman who I was preparing to propose to and had the ring on order waiting for it to you know be mailed to me from a conflict diamond type uh you know uh uh diamond service a conflict free type of diamond service and you know preparing for the 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 engagement and the and the proposal and all of that she bounced and my heart was devastated and not only my heart was devastated but my honestly she cracked and fractured my belief in love my belief in what this was all for. I could not even fathom that this was possible. And in, and this happened as I was finishing the CD, as I was still had to record some skits with her, still recording love poems about her, still writing the liner notes for the production, uh, for the, uh, the uh, manufacturer waiting for the CD, you know, to print the CD cover. And I'm writing the liner notes like, and to my baby, you know, thanks for sticking with me through this. I can't wait for our life together, you know. And now I'm like, what the hell do I do? And I, I had two choices. I can either, I could either, uh, you know, just cut, start cutting <laughs> poems off the CD and basically change my mind and just have a CD that felt like, not for real, psych. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> now nah, here's what I really want to talk about, and suddenly, and you would feel those gaps, you know, and those the, the, that missing voice. Um, or I could just and cause, and and mind you, I was also in the place of I was fighting for the relationship at this time, so I still didn't know whether we were going to make it or not. But the manufacturer couldn't wait; the CD release date couldn't wait for me to determine that. So I had to basically gamble on: Are we going to make it or not? And I can either cut this stuff from the CD if we don't make it, or I can just balls out, put it all out there and and be like, I believe we're going to make it. And so I'm going to put these joints on my CD and I'm going to rock them as a as a testament to my faith in our relationship, you know. And so, of course, you know, which one did I do? Which one did I do, Srini? Of course, I put everything on that damn CD. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because we're hopeless, you know, we're hopeless believers in all of it. And so I put it all on my CD and it, the relationship didn't work out and I mean, you talk about a hard time having to perform and, you know, do my CD release shows and perform those pieces. I remember performing some of those pieces and one of my poetry friends came up to me afterwards who had seen them a million times. And she was like, what the hell was that? Like, she was like, that was not dope. Like, you were not on fire on stage, you know. And, that's, and you know, suddenly I had to live that. So, I, so and, and, you know, lots of stuff ensued after that. But long story short, um, the... 
you know, the, the main point is when you think about making your art your commodity, you have to make different types of decisions with your art. You have to have a different relationship with it. Sometimes it is still your lover. Sometimes it is your muses that dance with you. And sometimes it's, it's your boss. It's your CEO that says, hey, you know, we can't. We're, we're at this happy-go-lucky spot. This is not the time to rock your depression suicide poem. you got to go pay the phone bill. So get out there and do your job. And, and going back to your point in terms of, uh, in terms of the, the rigor, you know, that was the training that allowed me to do that, that I think a lot of artists don't have. They only have the, I just want to, I just want the feel good part of my art. I just want to, I just want to paint for painting's sake. I just want to dance for dancing's sake. And that is beautiful. There's, we need that. So I, this is not some, this is not a, uh, uh, you know, a campaign for every artist should, should make their art the job. No, that would be a horrible world, <laughs> you know, but it's, it, but it is a campaign for every artist that's considering that needs to have that conversation very seriously with themselves because it can be uh, devastating when suddenly you think that you're fine with it and then you are judged for your art and it doesn't sell and you, you, you ruin that relationship that you had with it because you didn't take that question um, and that consideration seriously. So tell me about the significance of the name Blind Faith Records. Blind Faith? Okay, Blind Faith, man. Um... <clears throat> Blind Faith was, <laughs> you know, I like this because uh, you're, you're just taking me back down memory lane for like stuff that I don't get to talk about too much. Um, I wish my boy Craig was listening to this. I'm going to have to make sure that he, that he tunes into this. Uh, I'm working in a law firm in downtown LA and um, um I am, um, like I said, I'm preparing. I'm preparing to be an entertainment lawyer as a backup to being an, an entertainer. And entertainment for me at that point was I was chasing hip hop, chasing record deals, and I was chasing um, acting. You know, the, the pursuit of Hollywood. Uh, and I began to have more opportunities in music than I did in acting. I began to have more, you know, bites and potential success with record labels, and so I began to pursue that a lot heavier. And um, and so in my mind, I'm going, okay, I'm going to be an entertainment lawyer just in case the entertainment thing doesn't work out. Now, <laughs> what you start to realize after you work in a few law firms is, yeah, uh, law is not really a backup. <laughs> law is kind of a commitment, you know? Like you're looking at the hours these lawyers work and you're like, I'm not really seeing where there's room and space for my main thing, you know, plus, you know, the investment of law, the, the investment of law school and and uh, the time commitment and the, and the resource and, and financial commitment and all of that. So I'm like, OK, you know, that plan doesn't seem to make sense. But I and plus I was like, I don't necessarily necessarily want to be the the bitter attorney negotiating record deals that I wish I had, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like somebody I'm negotiating a record deal for some whack ass rapper. And I'm like, man, your stuff is all right, but check out my demo. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> that ain't sexy. So, um, so I was like, okay, so maybe not law. Um, but in the meantime, I, I was going to, I was also experiencing, um, a dynamic with my, with my uh, my artistic side, you know, like if you look at that as sort of the business side, the artistic side, I'm shopping all these demos, and I'm getting a common response, which is 
damn, I love your words. I love your, uh, like, like your words move me. I, I'm listening to your demo in the, you know, in my tape deck, dating myself, right? I'm listening to your demo in my tape deck on the way to work every day. But it's not the, the it's not the formula that's that that hip hop is selling right now. You know, it just it wasn't it wasn't bling, shoot 'em up, bitches and hoes. I got all the money and I'll kill you. You know, it wasn't that formula that hip that hip hop was uh, making you know billions off of. And so they were like, I'm not seeing how I can sell it, how I can sell it to the man next to the man and get you signed. But damn, I wish I could because your words move me right. And I was like, just getting fed up with that sort of response. And then I'm going to, so then the entrepreneur in me kicks in and it's like, all right, well, I'm going to do it myself, you know, uh, the, 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 the MC Hammer model, if you will, which is, you know, which was one of the, you know, blueprints for the, the model that we have now and people creating their own um, vanity labels or record labels and taking back control. Um, and at the time, that was one of the blueprints for it. So I was like, all right, I'm going to do it myself. And, I'm, and I started going to all these, doing my own shows and then going to um, open mics to build a fan base for my music. And it got good to me. Um, <clears throat> and I found myself loving being loved for my words and not having to worry about the, the, the beat and the remix and the hook and all of that stuff. And I would just perform my, my lyrics, my hip hop lyrics, spoken word style. Um, and so I was getting this slowly, you know, one email list at a time, building a fan base. And um, it was like, all right, I'm just going to release my own records and make my own money and um, try to get the attention of a label. And so as I was working at these law firms, I, uh, I had a, a, my boy, Craig Cornwell, one of, my, one of my best friends now. And he, I had met him uh, through my sister and she connected us, connected me with him. And he had been a manager of someone else. And I had a manager at the time time shout out douglas daniel who was uh, a friend of the friend of the family and an attorney in la and believed in my work tremendously and and helped me negotiate some of my early contracts and you know you just you got to appreciate the people that just believe in you when nobody else will and not just believe in you but but invest in you know invest their time and their resources in helping you um and so douglas daniel was my attorney at the time um and craig who was an attorney wanted to be my attorney, but I had that slot filled. And so he was like, well, all right, well, maybe I'll be your manager. And so I signed him on as my manager. And I remember us, we were working in law firms across the street from each other. And so we'd, you know, get together for, for lunch a lot of times. And I remember us sitting in a subway um, in downtown LA and going, all right, we're going to start this record label. And um, I'm, you know, I'm the creative. I mean, in, in this odd couple type relationship, I'm the I don't know whether it was Oscar or who was Oscar and Simon or whatever the whatever the <laughs> the odd couple names. Like I was the the creative one, you know, and he was the suit wearing like you know corporate one, you know. And so, you know, all my names were like you know wacky creative names, and all his names were like you know let's achieve success records, you know. Like <laughs> it was like, and so we were sitting at the subway trying to like you know going back and forth about what we're gonna call it. And I remember what we still joke to this day. My favorite name was obsidian 
Entertainment, Obsidian Records, right? And I had this, and I brought this stone. I had this whole pitch, right? I brought this, this, this black stone that was, that was, an, uh, you know, the Obsidian Stone. And I was like, it's a, it's a mineral, it's a stone, but it's, and it's, and it represents blackness, and, and it's also, you know, it's, it's, it's deep. And I had this whole pitch, you know, and I was like, Obsidian. That's just a sexy sounding word. And I, afterwards, he was like, what the hell is Obsidian? Nobody's going to know what that is. Like, it doesn't mean anything. And I was like, oh, I just got deflated. And so we bounced around a lot, a lot more back and forth. And, um, and then we landed on just something that truly meant what we felt like we were doing, which is, you know, at the end of the day, we're doing all this preparation we're doing all this, uh, you know, data gathering and data mining and, and studying the metrics and, and planning and business plans and proposals and following all the standard protocols of creating a business. But that final step, you know, like there's a million business plans collecting dust in the world because they didn't have the courage to make that final step, which is you got to trust in the wings you built enough to step off the cliff, you know. And we felt like blind faith was that final step off the cliff. Like it, it, it doesn't feel blind because you've prepared, you know, it's not like I'm just, you know, it's not like I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to give all my money to the church and just believe God will take care of me. You know what I mean? It's not that blind faith, you know, it's, it's no, I've prepared, I've strategized, I've run the numbers, I've done all that, but that, all of that, that 90%, that 90 nine, 95, 98%, whatever it is, none of it matters without that last remaining percentage of you closing your eyes, pinching your nose, holding your breath, inching towards the edge, you know, letting your curl, your, your toes curl over the edge, feeling that there is nothing in front of you and it is either fall or fly and stepping. That was Blind Faith Records. Hmm. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. 
PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Wow. Um, so if I remember correctly, you spent some time also working as a school teacher, correct? Yep. Talk to me about that a little bit and tell me how your perspective on education changed after spending time as a school teacher. So, <clears throat> the school teacher thing was, you know, it's, it's, it's just interesting in the way, it's interesting when you just reflect back on the way you know, God has just masterminded the steps of your life in ways that you thought were all of your strategy and, and, and intelligence and, you know, wisdom in effect, making the best plan for yourself and so forth. But, you know, and then you sit back and you realize how much faith is a, is a, a component of it. Um, because I, for the, the school teacher thing for me was a means to an end. It was, it was my actor waiter job, you know, the actor that that is uh, a server at a restaurant because they get the flexible hours to be able to go on auditions, and so it's just serving their ultimate dream, right? And for me, <clears throat> at that point when I realized, okay, so not law, law's not a backup. Uh, I'm going to actually pursue entertainment, not entertainment law. So what's that bridge? Again, you know, I wasn't a quit my job, sleep on my boy's couch kind of a dude. So um, I was trying to figure out what the bridge was going to be. And I have several educators in my family, you know, not just my parents, but um, my, my aunts and uncles and cousins and, and so forth, you know, many teachers. And uh, my aunt is a nationally renowned uh, principal in Los Angeles. She has won probably every award that you can win as a as a teacher uh, from, you know, principal of the year, I don't know how many times, to the Steve Harvey Hoodie Award. You know, like she's literally been celebrated up and down. And uh, 
And she's incredible, um, an, an incredible, uh, you know, mentor and leader within the educational community. Shout out to my aunt, Dr. Genevieve Shepard. And she was principal at a, a school and had another friend of hers who was principal at Sixth Avenue Elementary School. And um, and they were encouraging me to, you know, to teach, to teach, to teach. Um, and so I was like, OK, I'm going to go ahead and do it. Actually, actually, I'm I'm getting the chronology mixed up. So that was when I became, was when I stopped substituting. But first, the the first step was substituting. And that actually came from my ex-girlfriend who had teachers in her family. And she was like, you know what? You should substitute teach as your bridge job to kind of like give you the freedom and flexibility for your, for your you know, your music. And so I looked into it, you know, ran the numbers, did the data, did what I do, <laughs> you know, and was like, I like this. This is a good option um, because it keeps me passionate. It keeps me purposeful. It keeps me in something that I love to do. That's not just, you know, being a waiter, uh, which I didn't have any any purposeful connection to. Um, but I had worked with kids. I had been a youth counselor and a, and, a, and a youth specialist throughout college, working with at risk youth in, in educational, you know, educational outreach type programs and so forth. And so I was like, I like this. This is great for me. So did it went through. And, and, you know, I, I did it in that way where it was like I was going to ensure maximum success. So, of course, I, I, I researched what, what are the top paying school districts and, you know, which ones had the, had the, the broadest reach in the most schools and would give me the most options and so forth and signed up for all of those and uh, began to substitute teach. And I loved it. You know, I had great relationships with, with teachers and kids and it was very, very fulfilling for me. But I, I remember sitting with Craig, my manager, in a, in a uh, parking lot in downtown LA when we decided to do this. And I was vowed to myself that I was not going to become a full-time teacher because I knew that number one, I would love it. Number two, I'd be good at it. And number three, it was not ultimately what I wanted to do. And I was concerned about this. I had to make that vow because I knew the seduction of, you know, loving something and being good at it can can deceive you sometimes and make you feel like this is what I'm supposed to do. But you have to be able to stop and ask yourself that third question, you know, because there's lots of things that we can that we can love and be good at. And then you realize, oh, this is not really what I wanted to make my career, though. This should have just been a hobby or, you know, this was something that my parents wanted to have as my career or whatever. So made that vow, did substitute teaching for um, almost a year. And then my aunt and her uh, principal friend, um, Katie Green, were like, uh, there's an opening at our school and we think that you should um, come on as a, as a long-term substitute teacher and take it. It was a, a teacher, I believe, who had passed away or something. And they were like, these kids need um, a strong role model in this class because they've been without a, a, a teacher for a while. So, you know, again, weigh the pros and cons, great money as a long-term uh, assignment, decided I would go ahead and do it, give me some stability, great. Did that, and of course, by the end of the year, then the pressure became, you're an amazing teacher, and we need you, and these kids need you, and we need, and also, you know, the, the cultural factor, you know, that they got me on, the social consciousness factor of, listen, we need black men in this role. We need, these, these young boys need to see their possibility. They need, to, they need to have this role model in front of them, you know? And so on all those, for all those reasons, um, they got me, and I was like, all right, I'm going to do, I'm going to go ahead and sign on as a teacher. And again, I remember sitting in a parking lot with Craig in our cars after work and just like, all right, so what does this mean for our, our plan? And I thought I was going to have all this free time, man. It was like, okay, well, 
you know, we got the off track time. We got our summers, you know, we can do tours, we can do concerts. And then your day ends earlier so that we can, you know, we can do shows at night and, you know, you'll have all this free time. You'll have all this blah, blah, blah. Great. Let's let's go ahead and do it. Man, you ain't got no free time as a teacher. What the hell was I thinking? If you are a dedicated teacher, your life is teaching. You know what I mean? First of all, you're tired as hell when you come home. So I would come home, and it was like I was a European. I would get off at, at you know, 2 o'clock, 2.30, and I'd come home and need a damn siesta, first of all. You know? And I'd have to come home and, like, sleep for two hours and then uh, wake up. And then, you know, homework and, and grades and preparing lesson plans and all of that into the night. And then by my off-track time, you know, I was so burnt out um, from, you know, being committed as a teacher that then I would... uh you know, I would I would have these, you know, a, a few weeks of just burnout where I wasn't planning anything creative. I wasn't doing shows and so forth. And then I get into the studio. And then by the time I was ready to do something, boom, it was back to school time. So I quickly realized, OK, here here I am. I'm, I, I love this. I'm good at it. But I'm still pursuing entertainment at night. I'm still going to these poetry venues. I'm still joining these slam teams. I, and these kids need me. I'm looking down uh, down the hallway sometimes at, at, at tenure teachers or at, or at other schools at these tenure teachers that that are just, you know, on their phone all day and then handing out worksheets all day, you know. And I'm going, I can't be that teacher. I have to be invested in these kids. They need my 110%. And I can't give them that if I'm out there chasing entertainment at night and I'm coming home late and I'm trying to, you know, throw some coffee in me and, and, and get ready to, to, to guide them to their possibility in the morning. And I began to be torn by that duality more and more. And I felt like I just need to step out of the way of another fully committed teacher that can step into, into this seat. And, but at the same time, you know, teaching is not the kind of job that you can just decide you're going to quit in September and then go, oh, I'm not quite ready. I'll wait till February. Like you got to sign on for that year, you know, and if you don't see how you're going, what you're going to do after that, by the time June comes, by the time the end of the school year comes, then you sign on and contract for another year. And every year, I couldn't see how it is that I was going to make money in entertainment. Well, what happened during that time was I fell in love with spoken word poetry. So I went from going to these open mics, building a fan base for my, for my hip-hop and my music career and all of that, to, damn, this poetry thing is good to me. Like I said, I, I just appreciated being appreciated for my words. And I love that. And I began to deliver my hip hop spoken word style and the audience loved that. I wasn't just getting up there and rapping. I was trying to create a new user experience for the for uh, a, a new user experience that the audience would have with my with my lyrics, with my words and open it up so they could feel the words in a new way. And I loved it and they loved it and it got good to me. And I was like, oh, man, this is it. So that was the artistic hook. And then the entrepreneurial hook was that the entrepreneur in me started getting more excited about about blazing new trails in this sort of sort of uncharted world of spoken word than I was about uh, you know chasing the same crumbs um, that everybody else was chasing as you know in the sea of demos out there or, or you know, being a part of the sea of headshots out there you know I like the unique sort of trailblazing aspect of what could we do with this art form that I now love and so um, that really those two things happening at the same time was just paramount in the, the, the forces that have to come together that allow you to take that step off the cliff. Because I don't think that I would have necessarily taken that leap off the cliff 
if I was pursuing hip hop because I felt so much competition. I felt like I felt the struggle of God. Like I'm not 50 Cent. I'm not, you know what I mean? I'm not Lil Wayne. Like I'm not rapping about the stuff that I know is super signable. So it's a hard journey for me because I'm trying to fit myself into a place where I'm getting constant rejection because I'm not the the the, uh, the 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 typical artist, the blueprint out there. But with spoken word, I see the possibility of creating the blueprint. So yeah, it's hard. There's no you know there's no money in spoken word, but I but I can sink my teeth into how I can create it without without um, having the industry reject me because I I will be creating the industry. I will be becoming the industry. You know, and that to me somehow felt more exciting and more palatable and tangible for me. And so when you look at what teaching was for me, teaching was not only the, uh, the, the conduit that enabled that decision, the bridge between, you know, that allowed me to sort of still keep my rent paid while I was exploring this and, um, and move myself from the pursuit of law and the pursuit of, you know, full-time education to the pursuit of my artistry while still keeping the lights on. It was not only that from a business sort of financial uh, side, but it was also a training ground for me. Teaching is an, entraining, an, an incredible stage training ground. You know, like you, you're, you're in front of one of the most difficult audiences every day. And it's a, and you have sort of sovereign reign over what you do with that stage to reach them every day. And, and what you have to do every day to reach that audience and to connect, connect with them is different a lot of times, every week to week, because they're different. They're growing. They're changing. Right. Um, and, and you have all of these rules and regulations from the district and you have the school's rules and regulations and needs and you have these metrics that you have to achieve and you have to constantly find. And, and then you also have to it's not a surface connection that you're looking for. You have to impact them deeply. Right. So think about the incredible training ground that was for me being able to take that skill set now. And now that it, it provided me the skill set and it provided me uh, the, the, the financial foundation to be able to go explore creatively, to be able to then discover what it is that I found myself passionate for, to be able to take that skill set and that those, you know, those savings or that stability and say, here is where I'm going to apply all this. And then the final step. You know, was me taking, deciding that, okay, I've built my name up enough in, uh, on the spoken word scene. I've studied the handful of peers around me who are full-time poets. I have, uh, I, you know, my name has, has, has become big enough on the scene where I've got some real fans. Um, you know, I've, I'm, I've won some local slam championships, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it's time for me to apply this now. And so I took the money from my tax return <laughs> um, and I uh, upgraded my recording studio that I had from, uh, from an, you know, an older Cubase studio to like a more modern like Pro Tools studio. And um, I started recording my first uh, double CD of, of, of spoken word, spoken word slash hip hop CD, but primarily spoken word. And um, I had four months between February when I, when I got the money and, and, um, and June, when it was time to, you know, show up and make the decision to quit my job. And uh, I had four months to record that CD. I recorded it like 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 crazy during my off track time and, you know, packaged it up and got it all ready. And uh, then I remember 
even before the CD was done, you know, my girlfriend at the time and I drove over to the school and it was during my, my off track, you know, what, what's my off track kind of summer, summer months. And uh, she sat in the car and I went over to my principal and I called a meeting with her and walked into the office, you know, nervous as hell, telling her that I was going to, this was going to be my last year. And I sat down in front of her and, uh, you know, prepared for her to say what's up. And she sat down and she said, so you're leaving me, aren't you? And I was like, uh, uh, <laughs> I was not prepared for that. And I was like, yeah, I, I am. And she, you know, she just went on to tell me that it made her sad to, to not have me and to, to, for her students to not have me. But she knew it was coming and she knew it was where I needed to be. And she was happy for me and she believed in me and she knew I would be successful. And, you know, she understood that it was time. And I think that's really powerful when the world sees that in you and knows and, and appreciates where you are, but knows the greatness that you're destined for and, and knows not to stand in the way of it. And that was that final, you know, push that I need. I, I went out, recorded the rest of my CD, quit my job in June and have not looked back since. It's been an incredible journey of, you know, failures, but ultimate incredible success that has been um, truly fulfilling for me and probably would not have happened if I had not had the training ground that, that, uh, of the classroom, the training ground that the classroom uh, gave me and prepared for me. Wow. Um, so I want to talk briefly, because uh, I know we're getting close to an hour, about spoken word as an art form and the creative process that goes into putting something like this together. Because I've gotten to see you perform and my immediate thought was, wow, that looks really hard. <laughs> yeah, and that takes a lot of work. I'm guessing. I'm curious what actually goes into the process of preparing something. Like, what does the creative process look like for something that you perform, and why is why is it that this art form in particular has the impact that it does on people? Well, I'll reverse the order. I think sure. the art form has has the. I think the art form has the impact that it does on people because. It's, well, first of all, it's, you don't encounter it everywhere. So it's, it's still very new and refreshing for people. Um, it, you know, it's not, it's not incredibly ubiquitous and just pervasive in society. And so, you, you know, you have all different versions of it that everyone's heard before and they're like, you know, cool, I got it. And yet it is though, right? In other ways, like people know the word poetry. We've been hearing the word poetry since we were, you know, for as long as we, as we can remember as kids. And we've been doing poetry for as long as we can remember as kids, whether it was making a little rhyming poem for a Mother's Day card for our parents in elementary school with, you know, some glue and some cardboard paper and some shells, you know, and uh, roses are red, violets are blue, you know. Um, throughout our entire lives, since those moments, we've been encountering the word poetry in different forms. And that has been the challenge of it, to be honest, with creating a career, of, in a, a career out of it. Because th there's so many preconceived notions of what poetry is. I'm battling that all the time. Um, people think that they, they hear the word poetry and they think, you know, uh, slam poet yelling at them for three minutes, or they think, you know, beat poet from the '60s with the with a beret and a, you know a guy behind him. You know, Mike Myers, Harry, it. <laughs> you know, they think uh, Shakespeare. They think revolutionary poet Gil Scott. You know, they think uh, they think just you know dense, inaccessible, 
art form that they couldn't get in in high school. You know, um, somebody doing a, a soliloquy to a daffodil or something. And so I'm up against all of those preconceived notions when I'm trying to tell them, no, not not that, but but this. You know, yes, all of that led to this, but that's not what you're about to experience. This is going to be new for you. This is what it is in my voice, you know, on my tongue. So open yourself up to that. And that's 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 the biggest challenge of my career. Um, And so but but at the same time, when I bring someone to a spoken word venue, you know, um, my home venues here in Los Angeles are uh, the Poetry Lounge. DA Poetry Lounge um, every Tuesday night in Los Angeles, 300 folks lined around the block like it's the hut, like it's the hottest, uh, lined around the block like it's the hottest club in LA, um, and it's one of the longest running, largest open mics in the country, and it's incredible. Um, and that was where I cut my teeth as a poet every Tuesday night, and I bring folks there for an open mic experience, or I bring folks to um, Fly Poet showcase which is um you know one of the best music and spoken word showcase showcases in the in the country if not the world where it's much more featured acts you know the best of the best and highly curated um and they and folks come to this for the first time and they have this like like hallelujah church experience like it is like oh my god this was transformative for me how have i not known about this why doesn't the whole world know about this this was amazing you know and so the art form has that effect on people because they haven't been experiencing it in, 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 you know, every other aspect of society. Number one, number two, it's, it, it's real raw, truthful voices. You know, it's really people speaking their heart without it being filtered by an industry, you know? And so again, especially in an open mic situation, you can get the double edged sword of that. Sometimes it's just somebody getting up there and ranting with no poetic, you know, uh, technique whatsoever and that can be frustrating to poets who really put time into the respecting the art form um, but other times you get people who really blend the two well their truthful honest raw voice with um, the, the the technique and devices of the art form and it's transformative and it's beautiful it's magical um, you really get I believe the best spoken word is is you know it, it lives strong on the page and it comes to life on the stage it's content, 50% delivery, and you focus on both. And when that happens, you get these incredibly powerful, truthful voices that speak right through, right directly to your soul, to your heart, to your belief system, um, unfettered by the politics of an industry, you know? Uh, And so that to me, and then also the last thing I would add is from a, uh, in my world, in the business world, um, I think I, I got excited about this industry because the art form is incredibly dense. So I got excited about taking it into business because it allows me to be able to pack incredible amounts of uh, uh, incredibly dense amounts of data and information and client information and business messages and, and, and value into the art form. It's incredibly elastic. I can take a two minute poem or six minute uh, spoken word piece and pack in an entire, you know, keynote worth of information into it in a way that uh, a, a, a song can't. You know, something that has a much more rigid structure isn't able to get in as much. So people are amazed when I step off the stage in the business world and they're going, how did you 
it just kept going and you just touched upon so much of what we what what represents our message what represents our mission of what we're about into this short period of time and the elasticity of it is one of the things that I think that makes it so powerful as well um, it's incredibly rich so that to me is is just to touch on one of the some of the reasons why it's powerful and then the second part of your question in terms of the uh, the training process, you know, it's that's something that I've been exploring a lot recently because, as you know, I've 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 been training others in it now, um, and I haven't been training people in the in the poetry of it. I've just been training people in the delivery of it. You know, because I, you know I have a successful speaking career, but I was never trained as a speaker. I was trained as a performer. I was trained as an artist, um, but I was able to take the artistry and apply it to business stages. I was able to take the artistry, use it to bring out my truth, my authenticity, and then apply that to stages that were outside of the art world. And so, um, you know, I went on and I, and I, we've, we've, you know, skipped sort of critical parts of the story because I've gotten so into the, the origin process, which I think has been awesome, but just to make sure I connect the dots, you know, after I did full-time poetry, after I started uh, presenting for some businesses as a traditional spoken word poet, I went on and I created Poetic Voice, which is um, a new speaking category, a new style of inspirational speaking that combines inspirational speaking with spoken word poetry in a very seamless manner so that you don't know when the storytelling ends and the theater begins and the comedy ends and the business content begins and the strategic storytelling ends and the you know the 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 inspirational speaking begins it all becomes one seamless experience of you just of, of causing you to just lean in and continue to not know where i'm going and stay ahead of you because of that heightened artistic process and that has really been what allowed me the success in the business world to then sort of transform the speaking industry and allow new options for the the poetry industry and that's the place that i've been in the past you know in the past uh, certainly eight years if not um decades and so from there as i begin to go okay i want to create more poetic voices now. I want to start training people in that process. I still didn't really know what my magic was. You know, I still hadn't dissected that process. How do I do what I do? Everyone was always asking, how do you do that? And I still couldn't answer the question. But again, the business person to me was like, well, what can I answer? And what I realized that I could dissect is I could dissect the, the speaking, the public speaking side of it. I could dissect how it is that I apply performance techniques from all types of performance onto into into my speaking um style that allows me to stand out from other speakers and that training is what i could train others in you know there's i always talk about this point where your where your magic ends and your mastery begins and that was that point for me i knew that this was where my mastery began yes there was a magical component to this but where the mastery began is i i could teach you how to apply dancing techniques so that you can move your body in more dynamic ways as a business person or a communicator on stage. I could teach you how to apply acting techniques so that you can uh, become more authentic in your own body and authentically play yourself like it's a role, like it's a, like, you know, Meryl Streep playing Margaret Thatcher or something. I can apply the acting techniques to help you be more authentic as you in whatever stage you touch. I can apply improv techniques to help you become distraction proof and turn distractions into delight. I could apply singer songwriter techniques to help you to craft a, uh, uh, a speech like a song and think about writing a speech like a songwriter does so that you can open up uh, these incredibly uh, 
uh, catchy hooks and refrains that allow people to be singing your message the same way they sing, you know, because I'm happy, you know. So as I began to think, I was like, that I could do. And that's what led me to really begin to dissect my own training process in a way that was teachable. So again, going back to the things that being a teacher prepared me for that I had no idea was preparing me for, now I could create that curriculum that allowed people to become more of a rock star on whatever stage they touch. And that's the place that I have been in for the past few years, not just dissecting my own training process for what makes me a great poet, but dissecting my training process for what can help make others be a more powerful influencer, be a more powerful leader, more powerful voice for their community, for their cause, for their you know customers, whatever it is. Um, and that training process is not only uh, uh, repeatable, but teachable, you know, and there are things that, that there are rituals that I go through constantly in that process. So say, for example, I call it my rock star rituals. One of the, one of the lessons that I teach, you know, what's your rock star ritual? What's the ritual that you treat the same way a performer does, not, not the way that a business person does. Cause the business person doesn't typically respect the rituals that go into performing at your best from a holistic standpoint, you know, business folks, uh, they tend to just be like, oh, I prepare my material. I practice my questions and answers. I, I, I work on my deck, you know. But the rock star ritual says, no, if you go backstage at a dance concert, they're warming up their body. You go backstage back, backstage at a concert, they're warming up their voice. There are rituals that we do to warm up our, our mind, our mental state, our mindfulness, and putting ourselves in a place where we see the success before it happens. There, there are rituals that allow ourselves to warm up our spirit. And so that when we step on stage, our spirit is already electric and that translates to an audience warming up our body so that we can use trust our body to be used in any particular way. When we step in front of an audience, warming up our voice and our mouth and our lips and our eyes and our face so that we have the entire arsenal um, of, of tools and resources to communicate um, dynamic and, you know, very sort of minimal um, nuanced emotion, you know, warming up our 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 our. Uh, um, uh, hearts, you know, our emotions so that we can allow ourselves to be vulnerable in front of an audience and connect with people on a human level. The rituals that I go through and that I teach people to go through to make sure that they're doing all of that, that's incredibly important towards, just as important as the rituals that we do to prepare our words for the poetry or prepare our decks for the presentation. And that's what I always like to emphasize to people as, as they're thinking about their training process. Um, you know, let your ritual, let your training be holistic training, because when you step out there, you want to be a whole person and you're going to be speaking to whole people and they're not connecting with you just on your words. They're not connecting with you just on your content. They're connecting with you on a human level. So make sure that you have activated, ignited, trained and prepared your humanity. Hmm. Well, I, I think that makes a, a perfect opportunity for you to uh, tell us a little bit about what you're working on in terms of a program, because I know that's one of the reasons you got in touch with me. So I wanted to give you a moment to talk a little bit about that, and then we'll wrap things up with one last question. Oh, yeah, 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 definitely. Love to. Um, yeah, I, so, you know, I've, I've touched on the why of it. Um, and the why of it, you know, the main why of it outside of discovering that I could do it was also discovering that I hadn't been serving my community completely. I was constantly, and I still am, constantly asked the question, how do you do that? I, or, or told, I wish I could do that. You know? And I would just sort of dismiss it as, oh, that's just my genius. That's just my, my unique gift and magic. You know? And um, eventually I realized, well, 
as when, when individuals would reach out to me and say, can you help me do this or can you teach me this? I didn't have any formal way of teaching it, but I'm sure, I'm sure I'd take a call or I'd help them, you know, schedule a quick session with them. And I would unlock some stuff in them that they were like, oh, my God, I didn't know that. I was able to think like that. I kept viewing it as that's what Seiku does because he's an artist and I'm more of a boardroom speaker or I'm an attorney or I'm speaking to investors or whatever. They don't apply. And then I would begin to just get them to think like a performer in these small nuanced ways and it would unlock um, an incredible sort of dynamic range that they hadn't been accessing in their communication. And so I realized, all right, well, I'm not, uh, clearly there's a, there's a need that, that this world has uh, uh, from me, and I'm not serving the world in this way, so how can I? And um, that led me to create Stage Might. And Stage Might, you know, as in Stage Fright to Stage Might, is basically, um, I call it Rockstar Secrets for Public Speakers. And it is basically um, a system of techniques that you learn from master artists and apply to other non-artistic forms of communication. You know, any stage that you touch. I have people that I work with that want to that are part of the fastest growing company in America and need and suddenly need to be a more dynamic leader for their investors and their you know team that's growing every week. And I have folks that just you know folks that want to that are doing a TED talk or something and 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 are about to hit the spotlight in a new way. And other folks that are just like I want to you know I want to be more uh, compelling at the PTA meeting. You know, so it's it's whatever stage that you touch. It's it's a belief system first that says I can perform my speech. I can perform my communication and have the impact of a performer. But I have to train and think like a performer. And when I do, I will stand out on a stage from all the people that touch the stage before and after me who don't think like performers, who train like speakers. And therefore, they train in the same um, ways of plant your feet and use your hands in this particular way. And these are the rules and the parameters. And instead, I wanted to not just reject those rules and parameters because they're great, but to uh, be mightier than those rules so that I can stand out. You know, I want to be mightier than my mistakes so that I'm not worried about whether my authenticity uh, and, and the fact that I made a few mistakes it, it, uh, it detracts and is, a, is detrimental to the impact I have. You know, instead, I want to be able to be my mightiest self on stage, be my truest self on stage and, and shine. And so I realized that teaching people to think and perform like artists, like performers, is what will un unlock that ability and then I'll unlock the effect they want to have. You know, when you think about going to a to a, a concert, a rock show, or a, a, you know, a stand-up comedy show, or anything like that, it's an incredibly emotional experience. It's you know, it's synapses firing and adrenaline and endorphins, and it's not just wow, those words moved me, but it was experiential, and that's what I want to give people the power to unlock. And so I created Stage Mike as a system that does that, and I am super, super excited. I've, I've been creating it over the past few years. I've been doing it over the past few years, but I never formally launched it. And so I'm finally, finally, formally, formally launching it uh, next month. Uh, I will be launching it and opening it to the public. And um, I'll be doing a webinar called Rockstar Secrets for Public Speakers. And we'll have, you know, I'll make sure you have all the information about that so you can share, share it with your audience. But um, it will be me basically just pouring into you and giving you these techniques and training you and just filling that webinar time with as much as possible to help unlock this power 
within you um, as, 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 you know, as much as I can. And, um, and then, you know, just allowing you to, if you want to continue training with me, like I'm excited to be in that place now where I can offer both an online program. I can offer one-on-one coaching and training with you. Um, I can offer a multitude of ways for me to completely, um, to continue completely unlocking your might on stage and letting you be the rock star that you are off stage on stage. Wow. Um, well, we'll be sure to link all of that stuff up uh, in the show notes. And if you're not on the newsletter, sign up for it because we'll, we'll mention it there as well. So I want to finish with one final question, which is how we finish all our interviews at the unmistakable creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? What do I think it is that makes someone unmistakable? Well, I would say that I'm a word guy. So when I think of the word unmistakable, I think two things. I think one, um, the word mistake as an error, as in failure. Um, and I think unmistakable is the inability to allow yourself to believe that you are a failure, to allow yourself to, 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 to not accept failure as um, what defines you, but instead to allow yourself to embrace failure as something that enables you. You know, you, you embrace those failures along the way um, because you know that as long as you are failing forward, as long as you are failing good and failing smart and just embracing the intellectual capital that you gain from each failure, each mistake, then it enables you, right? And so if you unmistake yourself, it enables you. And that allows you to be unmistakable. And then I also think um, about the word mistake as the, you know, uh, confusing you, mistaking you with something else. Um, You know, a lot of times, we allow ourselves to let the world mistake us for what they think we are and not see what we truly are. And some of that comes in just the existing notions and the perceptions of the world. And, you know, that's just the world. We have to allow the world to say, hey, listen, you're a poet. And, and so I, here's what I, I, when I, when I hear that you're a poet, you know, I mistake you as someone who's going to be yelling at me for three minutes in a slam poem, or I'm going to mistake you as a beat poet. I'm going to mistake you as someone doing that, that soliloquy to a daffodil that I don't understand. And it's up to us to correct their mistake. It's up to us to show them who we are. You know, uh, it's up to, us, up to us to say, no, 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 you're, you're mistaking my potential for what you think my potential is. You're mistaking my uh, uh, abilities for what you think my abilities are. You're mistaking the truth of me for what you believe the truth of me is. Let me correct you. I beg to differ. Let me, let me fix that mistake, right? And so the more truthful that we are with ourselves, the more that we are finding our own true voice, the more that we are standing in front of the world and declaring who we are to the world, um, the less mistakable we become. The more the world, the more we begin to define ourselves for ourselves, uh, the more the world says, oh, OK, didn't realize that. But 
Now suddenly you're the model. You're the blueprint. So now you're you're the new possibility that when I go to the next person and I see that, I go, oh, well, now I don't mistake that because I know it exists because I've seen it in this other person, right? And, and it takes us to be able to find our true voice to be able to do that. You know, there's, there's a line from one of my pieces, Be Voiceful, that, that says, and, I, and, I, and I'll leave you with this. It says, you know, um, the first step to finding your true voice is to listen to voices other than your own. Then print your edition. Let the similarities help you define the divisions and then say you to the world. And when met with resistance, when met with resistance, when they tell you talk is cheap, you tell them silence is unaffordable. Be voiceful, for voice is your maiden's name. It's your legacy's theme song. It's the way your truth loves to hear itself, so it just keeps rambling on. Be voiceful, because what's the point of showing up to life? If you don't announce you're there. Amazing. Um, I think that just makes such a a beautiful way to wrap up an already riveting conversation. Uh, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and uh, share your story, your insights, and just so much wisdom with our audience. This has been incredible. This has been incredible, and it's been a long time coming. I, I, you know, I've been on your mailing list since we first connected, and I've watched the growth, and I've watched all the different ways that you have been inspiring people's creativity through through your guests um through your books through through your message and i'm excited to finally be a part of that community and be a part of what you're sharing with the world so i appreciate you having me on and i'm excited for anyone that uh that you know wants to connect with me further like please join my website uh, please join my uh, my webinar please hit up my website sekuandrews.com s-e-k-o-u andrews.com uh please join my community you know um join my mailing list let me i'll let you know when i'm performing near you if you enter your zip code i'll let you know when i'm speaking um and inspirational videos and just i'm excited to have our worlds collide our communities collide because you know the more unmistakably creative we can make the world the better the, this world will be and for everybody listening we will wrap the show with that next time on the unmistakable creative but working in a hospital for severely mentally ill people in the late 60s was as eye-opening an experience as any person could have. I mean, uh, Dayton State Hospital at the time housed, I don't know, 5,000 patients uh, with the the entire range of um, psychiatric disorders that exist. So I got to see humanity... Uh, in its fullest expression and to have and and was learning from uh, Dr. Ancarello and others uh, uh, on the faculty was learning an approach to understanding the experience of people in even in the most um, extreme circumstances so trying to understand what lived experience was like for people who were seriously mentally ill Tom Guariello joins us to talk about the psychology of human-robot interaction. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator, that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.